Welcome to Calvary Albuquerque. We pursue the God who is passionately pursuing a lost world. We do this with one another. Through worship, by the word, to the world. Dr. Richard Furman is a vascular surgeon with over 30 years experience saving lives and addressing the problems that kill over half of all Americans. As two-term governor of the American College of Surgeons, Dr. Furman has performed surgery in the finest operating suites. As co-founder of World Medical Mission, the medical arm of Samaritan's Purse, he has also operated under difficult third world conditions. Today, Dr. Furman travels the world on behalf of World Medical Mission, helping assemble teams of physicians, dentists, and other medical specialists where they are needed most. He recently served in Nepal, lending his expertise in response to the recent massive earthquake that killed and injured several thousand people. Dr. Furman also serves on the board of directors of Samaritan's Purse. During his many years of surgery, Dr. Furman has literally held clogged arteries and diseased hearts in his hands and wondered why the person lying on the table hadn't been more careful. In response, Dr. Furman has authored the popular book, Prescription for Life. In it, he offers expert advice on how to live a vibrant, healthy, and long life and be active for the Lord for many years to come. So prepare to be challenged and please give a warm Calvary welcome to Dr. Richard Furman. Well, I thank you for having me. I thank, especially thank Skip and Linya for putting up with me for another couple of days. But uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, Skip and I go back a long ways, as he said. Uh, we're both on Samaritan's First Board. Uh, Skip has been a very active part in World Medical Mission, which is the medical arm of, of Samaritan's Purse. And uh, he even sends me his CDs of his sermons, so I get to keep up with him that way. But the best part is we, uh, we get to ride our motorcycles together. And uh, I always like to ride behind Skip because he does such strange motions that uh, the thought keeps running through my mind, is he doing that on purpose or is he about to wreck? So, uh, so anyway, uh, I'm going to... I'm going to ask you a question about uh, about Skip. I wasn't going to do this, but I, I think you ought to know what kind of person he really is. When I got here last night, I had a fruit bowl uh, basket in my hotel room, and there was uh, there was a note in it uh, from from Skip. I think it's from Skip. It had uh, had his name on it, but it had somebody had written something in it. I'd never gotten a fruit basket with so many plums. There were plums everywhere, and I thought, that's a little strange, but when I read this, it says, Dick, welcome to Albuquerque. Thanks for being with us. I hope your stay is enjoyable, and please let us know if you need anything at all. Then handwritten, and I think this is his handwriting, says, I had them put plums in your fruit basket because I heard you were plum crazy. So, I don't... I don't, I don't hold that, I don't hold that against him, but I don't doubt that uh, he had part of that. But anyway, in a few minutes, we're going to, we're going to be speaking about three lifestyles that you can 
control. And that's the food you eat, exercise, and, and your weight. Uh, you're going to learn that you can add uh, 8.7 years to your life expectancy, expectancy. And we'll go over those numbers with you as, as we go on. But the big thing is you can add uh, 7 to 12 you can become 7 to 12 years physiologically younger. And uh, we can get into that also. But uh, I feel like the main part of Prescription for Life begins on page 313. And I would like, I would like for all of you to get, all of you listening tonight to get a book. Just like you're in medical school, you've got to study. You don't just read it, but study it. From what I, from the little things that I say here, I want you to learn uh, how we become a steward of our bodies for the Lord. And uh, But there's, on page 313, is a big part of it where I invite the reader to come into my examining room, where I examine a cancer patient. And what I would do is I'd, I'd ask them if they would like for, for us to discuss eternity. And knowing that anyone that has cancer has to be thinking, what's going to happen to me? Everyone, every patient I ever asked that to said yes, that they would like to discuss eternity. So I would, I'd point to my examining room door and I'd say, okay, let's say that's the door to heaven and you were to die right now. And then I'd say, it has nothing to do with your prognosis, but we're just going through this. Uh, and they would smile. I'd say, okay, say you died. You knocked on that door to heaven and they opened it. What would you say that would make them let you in? And I'd say about 80% of them. And, uh, and there was one deacon of a large church there in our town would say, well, I sure hope I've done more good than I've done bad. And uh, I would have to explain to them that that's not, uh, that's not the plan of salvation. And I would, I'd give them a Bible. I'd have underlined John 14:6, and I said, "This is the answer. That this is what Jesus said about eternity. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me.' So, I, and I'd, I would give them that, give them that book, and it just would make me think about uh, Vance Havner, a, a, a great uh, evangelist, years ago. He told uh, a sermon one time about uh, the theology of the thief on the cross. And he said that that thief went spent eternity with Jesus. He never did anything good. He never got off the cross to do anything good. But if he had gotten off the cross, he would have done a lot of good. And I wanted my readers to understand that doing good has nothing to do with salvation. But it does, you do want to do good once you get off of that cross. But I feel like, I feel like that uh, is important. And so that's why I ask you tonight, we want everybody to get a book. Uh, and like Skip said, write an IOU or just tell them, uh, I just want it. But we want everybody here to have one. And here's what I ask you to do. I want, when you finish with it, I want you to give it to somebody uh, so they can read it. And I'd, I'd rather you give it to a non-believer because I really think that, that afterwards 
says a lot after it builds the respect of the, of the medical aspect of the book. So uh, we'll go to see what, who is this book really for. And uh, there's, there's all kinds of people. You have different, some are diabetic, some are overweight, some of you exercise every day. Uh, but who, who is, is the book for? And I look at, I look at it as, it's a big, uh, prevention plan, uh, rather, uh, than waiting for symptoms. You want to do something to prevent things happen to you. Uh, uh, two thirds of the time, the first symptom of a heart attack, of blockage in your arteries in your heart, is a full-blown heart attack. You don't want to wait on that. We want we want to prevent uh, prevent that ever happening. According to that, uh, the, this is just a review of the medical literature written written in layman's terms. And I was shocked. The more I read, the more I realized that the aging process is dependent upon the health of your arteries. And you think about that. If your heart's the engine and it's pumping blood to every organ, well, yeah, your heart's uh, the most important organ, and and the health of the heart and those arteries, that's what's going to determine your physiological age as well as your as your chronological age. But the bottom line is that 85% of everybody over the age of 50 has some significant blockage of their arteries in their heart without any symptoms. You're just going along fine one day and then all of a sudden uh, you you have a heart attack. So this is a should read for everybody here because of that potential blockage. But I look at it, it's a must read for some people. If you've ever had a heart attack, if you've ever had a stent put in your heart, or if you're on a statin, if you've been, if your doctor's put you on a statin drug, you're in a category of pre-heart attack. So you, it means you, your LDL cholesterol's gotten too high. So those, you want to stop that in its tracks. You don't want another heart attack. You don't want it to, to happen again. You've already had that, that first symptom. Uh, it's also a must read for anybody who has lost weight and regained it. I would ask for a raise of hands, but I won't do that. But uh, most of us have lost weight and regained it. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that as to, as to why. Uh, if you've never had an exercise program, a personal exercise program, uh, and I'm talking about where you, you've got a time set down five days, six days a week, that you're going to do something. I don't care whether you're doing brisk walking or running eight-minute miles or, what, or whatever. Uh, it's also a must-read for the ladies here uh, to have it pointed out that there are things you can do to prevent breast cancer. The American Cancer Society points out that you can reduce the risk of breast cancer by 38% by lifestyle changes. And, uh, you know, I'm a doctor. I, I, didn't, I didn't really realize that uh, until it came out. Everything is is on prevention or detection uh, rather rather than uh, uh, prevention. Uh, the last part of who it's for, that's a must read, is for anyone here who knows anyone that's had Alzheimer's disease. Uh, or if you fear 
ever getting Alzheimer's disease. And we'll go into this in a minute too, but uh, lifestyle changes can prevent Alzheimer's disease, can reduce that percentage by over 50%. So those are things that, that we need to, to realize. Uh, you need to understand a little bit, okay, we're talking about the arteries, we're talking about the health of our arteries. I'm going to take you back to uh, like a medical school class for just a minute uh, to teach you about the warning lights because you have to understand this to be able to go through the three lifestyle changes to understand why you're going through them and why it gets easier and easier to do it. But we have warning lights uh, on our cars. If a warning light starts flashing, we get the oil changed or put air in the tires or whatever it is. Most people take better care of their cars than they do their bodies. But those, there are warning lights that we have. And when you go to the doctor, I'm sure you've had your blood drawn for your cholesterol. And what you get back are the warning lights. You need to understand the basics of what that total cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol, and the HDL cholesterol means. Now stick with me just a minute because I'm going to explain it where you won't ever forget it. Even Skip understand, understood it when I went through it with him. <laughs> but the total, and these are your warning lights. You, you'll get that, you'll get the paper back, and the doctor may tell you one thing or another that you're okay or whatever. But you need to understand that the total cholesterol is just made up of two basic cholesterols: the LDL, which I think the L stands for lethal, the lethal LDL cholesterol, and the hero HDL cholesterol. So that's your total cholesterol. And the reason they say the doctor tells you your, your, your cholesterol is too high is that the vast majority of that total cholesterol is the LDL. That's about as deep as I'm going to take you, but you need to realize that, that we're talking about, when we're talking about total cholesterol, in general they're talking about the LDL, but it's really the sum of the LDL and the hero HDL. Now I want you to think of this, the, uh, the lethal LDL, think of that coming from food. The foods that you eat. And think of that, as the LDL, as a splinter. That these little splinters are floating around in your bloodstream. And if you get a uh, splinter stuck in your finger, it swells, the body uh, pours in fluid, it pours in cells that will attack that splinter, and one of two things happen. It either ruptures and, and drains out, or uh, it, it heals with scar tissue and enlarged scar tissue area. Same thing happens in the wall of your artery. That LDL splinter gets into the wall, and the body starts pouring in fluid, the, the cells that fight it. It'll either pop open, and it'll cause a clot right then, block the artery, and you have an immediate heart attack, or it'll heal and you start forming plaque in that area. And that's what I was talking about a while ago, that, that uh, 85% of everybody over 50 has some of that plaque blockage uh, without symptoms. So think of, the, think of that uh, splinter as the LDL. Uh, now quickly, the HDL, the hero, you think of that as a little patrol car going around in your bloodstream. And it pulls up to the wall of the artery 
and it takes out four or five of these splinter LDLs, put them in the car, it takes them to jail, which is your liver. Your liver disposes of it, and then that HDL goes back and gets some more. So you want as many of those patrol cars as you can, and you want as few of the splinters as you can, the LDL. So the the hero HDL increases when you exercise and when you lose weight. So you want to increase those and you want to avoid the LDL uh, from from the foods uh, the foods that we eat. And uh, again, I won't ask how many is on a statin drug here, but the statin to prove how serious this uh, LDL cholesterol is is think of the number one drug is really in the world, but think of it as the number one drug in the United States is a statin to get that LDL down. That's, that does help, but that's just a part of the picture. It's about a third of the picture we're going to go into. Why, if you're on a statin, you need to re, uh, listen real closely what else uh, you, you need to be doing. Now, I hate to hear as a physician, I always hated to hear a patient say, if I had only known, uh, they wouldn't have done something. If, they, if I'd only known, I wouldn't have done this. And I remember uh, my best friend in grammar school, his name was Johnny Bob, so you know I'm from down south. Uh, but we'd go over to Johnny Bob's grandfather's house, and we'd, he'd be sitting uh, in a chair, leaning forward, and have a, there was a big fan on a stand blowing into his face. He had emphysema. He'd smoked all of his life. Uh, I remember at least three years going over and watching him sitting in front of that fan, and he'd say, if I had only known what smoking was going to do to me at this age, I would have quit long ago. So the idea is I want you to know that these lifestyles can really help you with your heart, heart and stroke, same situation, same arteries, uh, you can cut out a, a void of uh, what kills over half of the of people in America. Uh, the same thing with cancer. American Cancer Society says that a third of cancers can be avoided with, with lifestyle changes. Now you know that. And then again, like I said, with Alzheimer's disease, more and more studies are coming out showing that what we're doing in Prescription for Life, uh, the same, what's good for the heart is good for the brain. And you're into the 50 to 60% uh, on that. Now let me quickly tell you, the first, the first lifestyle uh, is eating, the food that you eat. Think of that as the LDL cholesterol. And uh, when you go to a restaurant, you look across their menu and you look at what the price is on, on things. And I encourage my children to get the the lower price, but just think certain foods are going to cost you 8.7 years off your life expectancy, and that's a, that's a big a big price to pay. Why is food uh, so difficult? It's so difficult because it's an addiction. In one of Skip's uh, messages, he talked about that God loves the uh, the addict, the someone who has an addiction. But he also points out you have to abstain. He also pointed out you need to go not to a higher power, but to the highest power. But 
it's serious. It's, it's food is addiction. You've got to beat the desire for that food. It takes about it takes about uh, two months to get that desire out, and you can't do it by moderation. I've had many people say, "Well, I just eat moderately, or I, I, I just eat the, 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 that kind of food moderately." I explained this to, to a fellow one one time, and the next day he said, uh, "You know, here's what I've decided." I mean, he was. I guess he was proud. He said, here's what I've decided. I'm only going to eat steak on Saturday night, just one, one night a week. That's all I'm going to do. And he said, you think that's all right? Like, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me, you know, what they eat. But it's like I was going to give, I was going to give him permission. And I said, are, are, you, are you crazy? I said, I just told you food was an addiction. Now, say you smoked. And you come to me and you say, I'm just going to smoke on Saturday night. Is, is that okay? No, you've got to get rid of the desire uh, to, to beat it. Uh, there, are, I'm going to give you a quick picture of uh, six foods not to eat. And uh, these are not, uh, it's, it's not that it's going to be a bad situation. It should be a positive situation because you see what it's going, you're going to understand after you study that prescription life, you're going to understand why it's so important not to eat these foods. First one, just, just picture a, uh, a waiter coming to your table with a steak on a platter. And uh, that stands for red meat, pork. Just think of, uh, think of grilled fish, grilled chicken instead of steak. On top of that steak is a, uh, is a fried egg with the, with the yolk about to break. Uh, uh, egg yolk has the highest uh, cholesterol content of any food, but but more than that, and this is the food that was my favorite food, and more people, I think if they had rocks in their hands, they would throw at me, but it's cheese. You see the waiter put a big piece of cheese on top of that, on top of that egg, and the yolk breaks, and it runs out over the, over the meat. Uh, cheese has the most amount of saturated fat. That's one of the Two bad fats, saturated fat and trans fat, of any food that we that we eat, uh, was my favorite food. Uh, but I realized one article I read that pointed that out, and I could I knew what it was doing to my arteries, and I just decided, okay, I'm not going to eat any more cheese. Uh, to the right side of the plate is a, is a glass of milk, whole milk is a four percent butter fat. Think of milk as cream. A good picture on that, too, just picture it in your mind. Think of it as five, uh, five strips of bacon. It's equivalent to that in the, in the glass. That's the easy way to look at it. But think of cream. That's ice cream, cream-based soups, the sauce, cream sauces that they put on, uh, put on their food. Uh, to the left side of the plate, it's a patty of butter, buttered margarine. Uh, again, think of uh, olive oil or canola oil uh, use. And then the last, the last part of it is the waiter brings a, a bowl of grease. So you think of that as the fried foods. You, you just don't eat any more fried foods. You, you eat grilled foods. Because most of what's fried uh, here, they use animal fat, animal oil, to fry them in, and that's going to increase those, uh, in those, increase those splinters. But when you realize that food is what it's doing to you, it'll get easier and easier 
for you to give up some of these foods that you are addicted to. And you'll start substituting uh, other foods, especially when you, when you think that you can avoid that, fit, that heart problem, the stroke problem that's going to, that's going to kill over 50% uh, of Americans. But there's a study done in the uh, uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, and it's, it was on Alzheimer's disease. Now, listen up just a minute on this because there are more and more reports coming out on Alzheimer's and relating it somewhere in the reports that usually say what's good for the the heart's good for the brain. They took took a diet, uh, like prescription for life diet, versus uh, the diets that's high in the saturated fats, the trans fats, and they took the extremes. The ones who ate the best versus the ones that ate the worst, there was a 40% less likelihood of Alzheimer's disease with the ones that ate that way, that ate the good food. Uh, we'll, leave, we'll leave that at that point, but let's go to the, the, uh, the, the second uh, lifestyle, and, and that is weight. Uh, just in general... It's bad for you to be overweight, whether we're talking about uh, a little bit or a lot. But in general, they, there was a study where they did 3,000 autopsies in Kentucky. Just going by the weight, 71% of them were overweight or obese. So just the weight, the weight in itself uh, is enough to, to, to cause that problem, uh, uh, that problem of death. But remember... Weight and the hero HDL. You lose the weight, that HDL is going to go up. Now, there's some unusual numbers about weight, some, some sad numbers about weight, that uh, two-thirds of Americans are overweight or obese. <clears throat> and only, only 12% of Americans are at their ideal weight, 12%. Being overweight takes six to seven years off of your life expectancy. But here, here's what I think is the worst numbers of all, that only 2 to 20% of people who lose weight are able to sustain it. And I I'm I'm just want to make that statement, and I'm getting ready to make one statement that I think that's more important than anything that I've said or anything that, that I, I will say. But the reason that people regain the weight is because that their losing weight diet is different than their sustaining weight diet. All of these fad diets, uh, uh, where you can just eat uh, just eat the protein, or you can order shakes through the mail, food through the mail. The problem is most of them work, but as soon as they uh, as soon as they get their weight off, they go back to their old way of doing. It. It's like Putting uh, new wine in old wineskins. You've got to you've got to learn what to eat and how to eat, how to diet as you're losing your weight. Then you can keep that same diet and sustain it. And you say, well, why wouldn't I just keep losing weight? Well, in there you're going to in the book you're going to see about uh, weight loss 101. You're going to read about the 10 minute factor. Uh, it tells you how you're going to lose that weight. But all that time, we're not counting calories, all that time 
you are losing the way you're empowering yourself that that's your standard way of eating and you're going to continue eating. You'll increase, you'll get to snack after you get to, uh, to your ideal weight and you'll get to increase portions, things like that. But I want you to study that, but to realize that that's why there's only 2 to 20% of, of people that keep their weight off once they lose it. That's the most important thing that I want to tell you. You practice, you, you, you develop the way uh, your eating lifestyle as you lose the weight and you hold it. You hold it on, on from there. Uh, and again, I want to go back to uh, the ladies just a minute. The uh, uh, breast cancer, uh, the uh, American Cancer Society points out that if you had to look at one thing that is, uh, you have control of, that causes more breast cancer than anything else, that's being overweight. And it has something to do with, with, uh, with the hormones and, and the fat tissue and all of that. But you need to realize there are things you can do to help prevent breast cancer. Uh, there's, they, they showed that if you took uh, someone at 18 years of age and they gained two, year, uh, two pounds a year, until menopause, if they gained 50 to 55 pounds, they were 45% greater chance of them developing a breast cancer than someone who stayed at that at that uh, weight uh, when they were 18. But there's a good side of a good side of that story too. Is that they also showed that if if women lost uh, five to 10% of their weight, they could decrease their chance of having breast cancer by 25 to 50 percent. So I just just leave that with you. Won't you? That's why I want everybody to, to not just read this book but study it because it's a review of the medical literature written in uh, layman's terms. And uh, it, I, I think it's written where you can understand the significance. It, you're, you, you will want to do differently. Like the thief on the cross, you'll want to not eat certain foods. It won't be a negative, it'll be a positive. Hey, I'm, I'm not eating that because I know what it'll do to me. I'm going to eat this uh, because I know what it, it, how it will help me. The last, uh, the last lifestyle is, is exercise. Most people think of exercise as, well, that's a good way to use calories. Burn 100 calories uh, a mile, whether you're walking or, or running. But that's and that is true, but that's very minute to what exercise really does. First of all, it shows that you're committed. It tells yourself that you're committed. If you don't, if you don't exercise, the, the chance of losing weight and sustaining are very slim. And that's not a play on words. I, I meant that. But, but it's important to convince your mind that you're serious about what you're doing, and exercise, exercise will do that. The problem: uh, over half of Americans are completely sedentary. They're, they're couch potatoes. They uh, they just watch television at night, and that, that's it. But uh, here's a, an unusual statement in, in one of the articles. It said, "If you can't, and I don't know where they got all these numbers together that makes good sense. If you can't walk a quarter of a mile." In five minutes, that's one lap around the, the football field. If you can't walk a quarter of a mile in five minutes, 
you're 30 times more likely to die in the next three years than someone who can. That, that in itself says a lot. Uh, they also study on people who jog, uh, extend their life expectancy uh, six years. Now, not everybody in here is going to end up, end up jogging. There's a chart in Prescription for Life that you can fit into it. If you're a couch potato, you can start there. If you're an eight-minute miler, you can start there in the, in the chart. I encourage you to, to get started, though, because it's a thousand-fold more significant and important to be out doing a brisk walk uh, five days a week, 30 minutes a day, than it is to uh, be, be sitting there uh, sitting there on, on the couch. And I'm going to close by explaining why exercise is so important to your heart. And this is especially if you know anybody that's on a statin. Uh, and you need, even if you're not on a statin, this is significant because there's no medicine, no pills are going to strengthen the heart. The only thing, just like, just like lifting weights, it builds that heart muscle. Getting out and getting your heart rate up is going to build that muscle up. You get someone that does jog, their heart muscle is going to be a lot thicker than someone that's just sitting on the couch. Uh, we saw this in medical school, the examples of this. Uh, but the idea is that uh, you're going to increase you're going to increase the, the strength of your heart. You're also going to increase that, those HDL, those hero HDL particles. What I mentioned a while ago about uh, not losing weight and exercising, uh, unless you exercise, they did a study at Brown University where they, had, they took uh, two groups of women and they put them both on the same diet. One group exercised, one group didn't. The ones who exercised lost almost twice the amount of weight as the ones as the ones that didn't uh, that didn't exercise. Uh, back to the breast cancer, we've talked about it by weight. Uh, exercise also decreases the chance of getting breast cancer, uh, 20 to 25 percent. And uh, even with with uh, families that had a history of breast cancer. Women who exercise, even there, had a fourth less chance of getting it. And then I'll close uh, where Skip and I can have a, a few questions. I'm afraid he'll try to get back at me. But, but I'll close by saying uh, on Alzheimer's disease, on, uh, on the exercise, remember that group I said that eight proper against the ones that didn't had a 40%. And I want you to remember these numbers. Food was 40%. They took the same group. The ones that exercised the most against the ones that didn't exercise at all, 48% less likelihood of developing Alzheimer's. And then the third number I want you to remember is when they, some of the group did both. They ate the right foods and they exercised the most. The ones that did both had a 60% less likelihood of Alzheimer's. So I'm going to close with that. You'll never be able to say, if I had only known, like uh, Johnny Bob's granddaddy, uh, because now you know, and uh, uh, would, would just remember that you, uh, you are the steward of your body. 
And to me, it's, uh, it's how you thank God for giving him the gift he's given you of your body. And uh, I don't want to point any fingers. I just want to be encouraging that let's be uh, as good a steward as we can. And uh, that may uh, take going to the highest power uh, to ask for help. But, Skip, get you up and... Uh... All right. Okay, Dr. Furman. No steak, no eggs. It sounds so unpatriotic, you know? Like, like un-American. Um, how, how do you go to a restaurant? You've told me before you could get any, something at just about any place. Is that right? How, what do you do when you go to a restaurant and that's all that's there? Well, the, the idea is to, to realize what foods are hurting you. And you just, you just avoid those. And you can avoid those at most any restaurant. If you're going out to eat, they always have a salad. Of course, you have to ask them not to put cheese on it because they're going to put cheese on it. But uh, if you're in a situation like that, you can always get a salad with uh, salmon, grilled salmon or grilled chicken. Okay. Something like that. Okay. So, fair enough. You mentioned cheese. And um, there's a lot of it in the American diet. Is that correct? A lot. Okay. So, um, some people that I've talked to, they go, oh, well, you lost me there. Um, I could follow it, but if you say no cheese, you know, I, I'm just, I'm out. Is it, a, it's, is it an addiction? It is, it is definitely an addiction. And, and as I try to explain... The only way, it's like uh, some lady asked me, well, what if I eat low-fat cheese? And, I, you know, that's, I, I didn't tell her about the cigarette on Saturday night. But, but as long as you keep that desire for cheese or whatever, uh, you, you're going you're gonna to stay addicted. You've got to beat uh, the desire. Ice cream is the same way. I used to like I mean, cheese and ice cream. You just cream. got some, oh, there, I heard it. <laughs> no, wait a minute. I hope there's no ice cream people in, but, but cheese and ice cream are my two favorite. Are foods. you kidding? No ice cream people here? No, no, I mean they oh. sell ice oh, cream. Oh, okay, okay. So, but, but I thought, hey, uh, fat-free yogurt had just come out. I said, okay, uh, I'll just start eating fat-free yogurt. And so every night we'd go get some. And then we were at a, somebody's home, and they brought brought some ice cream for dessert, and I realized the same desire for that ice cream hadn't changed at all. So like I said, for two months, abstain. I quit eating even the fat-free yogurt. I quit anything related to the ice cream. I quit. Then it got where, okay, if I wanted fat-free yogurt, I'd go get it. But you've got, you've got to... Uh, so you're saying the desire, desire can go key. away. You're saying you can actually lose the craving that you have for things. Is that correct? Exactly give you a quick example. Yep. I told you about the 10-minute factor. You can do this on losing weight. You can do it on certain foods. What does that mean, the 10-minute factor? Just I, explain that explain. really quick. What it says, I learned it from a fellow in, in, in Alaska who had, uh, uh, he had beat the addiction of drugs uh, and cigarettes, and he, had, he said that he did it 10 minutes at a time. And, uh, and alcohol. He had three addictions. Huh. And he, you can control an addiction for about 10 minutes. So we switched this over to, to losing weight or, or not eating something. Uh, when you want a snack, you want an Oreo, which they've got new little thin Oreos now. But 
what when you when you want one, you say, okay, I'm not going to eat that for ten minutes. You go get a non-caloric drink. Don't care what it is. You drink it, you feel your stomach, and then you get doing something else. Had a patient that I operated on. We thought he had lung cancer, but he didn't. He was a smoker, and I, I was explaining to him, if you don't quit smoking, he smoked two packs a day, uh, uh, brown fingers, and I said, you're going to get lung cancer. And I said, if a truck was coming down the hill in the front of the office in the road, and you were standing in the road, you'd get out of the road, wouldn't you? And he mm-hmm. said, yeah. So anyway, I explained that 10-minute factor. When you want to smoke, don't smoke for 10 minutes. I said, it works. Uh, a year later... I'm in the hall uh, between patients, and the nurse comes up and says, there's a gentleman here who wants to see you. He had on a baseball cap and work clothes. And I was busy. And I okay, he doesn't have an appointment. I'll, I'll see him in the hall. He walks up, smiles, shakes my hand, and he says, it's been a year today. He said, 10 minutes. He said, after mm. you talked to me about that 10-minute factory, he said, I put my cigarettes on the dashboard of my truck, <laughs> and every time I wanted one, I, did, I didn't smoke it for 10 minutes and do something else. He said after two or three months, he pitched them out. He said it's been a year today. Wow. It works, but it, the, what makes it works is you realize and what we've just been discussing tonight. Yeah. You've got to beat the desire. You put the desire on the scale and put actuality, what it's going to do to your body mm-hmm. on the other scale. And it ought to do that. You get victory 10 minutes at a time. Right. Okay. Um, I'm going to throw something out at you. Um, it goes like this. Well, we're all going to die. Look, so you talk about life expectancy a few more years, and somebody will say, well, who wants to live any more years on this earth? And we're all going to die. I've even heard this. Find out what you like and let it kill you. <laughs> That's a good argument, but go okay. ahead. <laughs> so respond to that, doctor. Well, the bottom line is the quality of your years are so much more important than the number of your years. We've talked about it extending your life expectancy. Forget all of that. Forget you're going to live one day more. That doesn't matter. What matters is from the quality of your life from now until the day you die. I had a fellow tell me, uh, he was in his late 70s, exercise, and I said, why do you do it? He said, I want to be active when I die. Hmm. And that's that's the whole point. It's not. It's not... The last 10 years of your life, you're sitting there staring around at the wall or something. It's, uh, you're active. You want to be, you want to be vibrant. 10 years is a long time. It would, it would feel like a hundred years, I suppose, if that's the case. Okay, so you made a, you you made a comment a moment ago. You used a word. Used the word commitment. Mm -hmm. Um, what about just making a decision? People hear this and go, yeah, I think that's good. I, I I think I'm going to decide to, I'm going to do something about, my health. What's the difference between a decision and a commitment? Well, there's, re- there's really a lot. A lot of people decide they need to lose weight. A lot of people decide uh, to lose weight. But until, until you commit, it isn't going to happen. See, a decision uh, is, is a change uh, in the mind, where a commitment is a change in the heart. And unless you really uh, have a change in your heart, like when you decided you wanted to, you were going to lose some weight, or when I decided, when I tried on third pair, the third year in a row, I'd gotten, uh, gotten bigger pants, size pants. Bigger size pants. That that day, I decided, I committed. Hey, I'm going to get back to what I weighed when I got out of high school. So, 
just remember, to decide a decision is of the mind, mm. but a commitment is of the heart. Okay, so let me just tell you one of the reasons I like this book. Because it's like truth straight up. It's like in-your-face truth. You're not dancing around. You present the medical facts. It's not trying to sell people on a new fad or a new diet. It's kind of like you read it and you go, oh, that's the stuff my mom told me. You know, stay active. Go outside and play. uh, Eat the right kind of foods. Don't eat too much. And... um, What's interesting about it is it's not about calories, right? It's about it's about choices. It's not. I've never counted calories, and I don't tell you to count calories in there. But you need to know which foods, fruits and vegetables, give you the most full feeling of any food with the least amount of calories. Uh, I've eaten a couple of meals with skip. Well, three meals. We've had uh, we've had three salads, uh, but we've had some chicken on some and some other. But but the idea is your whole lifestyle of eating will, will change, and it will center around what food you eat rather than what, how many calories in, right. in the food. You recommend five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Right. What does that mean, servings? How much is that? Well. I just, I'm trying to get somebody to start eating fruit for snacks or start eating fruit on their cereal. Uh, I consider, uh, I get three servings of fruit in, in, every morning with my cereal. I put uh, blueberries, strawberries, and bananas. Some mornings a serving of bananas is a half a banana oh. if my wife uh, has, I only have one left or something. Uh, I may, and when she's gone, maybe a third of a banana will be, uh, will be. But I, I don't make a big deal on service. Just get in the habit of eating fruit, uh, even if it's just a handful of blueberries. Okay, but some people say, well, there's sugar in fruit. I mean, there's fructose in fruit, and so, you know, sugar's bad for you. Well, there's, uh, sugar is bad for you. Uh, and sugar can affect your arteries, but not like those, the saturated fat and the trans fat. But this type of diet, you're not going to have to worry about the extra sugar mm-hmm. uh, on that. Okay. Um, you, you co-founded World Medical Mission uh, some years ago. We have a picture I think we're going to throw up that shows, that shows what, you, what it was like. Okay, so here's a photograph of Dick Furman, Bob Pierce, and that's Franklin Graham on the right with the beard. <laughs> so how, how many years ago was that? That was in uh, 1978. That was the first year we started uh, World Medical Mission. Uh, Bob Pierce was uh, alive and kicking. He had cancer, but he was still uh, still mm. traveling. So um, doing what you do, being who you are, you have traveled the world, and you've done surgeries and medical work in countries all around the world. Of all the countries you've visited, that means you've held hearts and arteries in your hands on a number of different continents. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, what's the healthiest place you've visited when you look inside a human body? Is that a fair question to ask? Is there a diet that you've just been amazed at? Yeah. That, wow, that's healthy. And then what is the most unhealthy place that well, you have visited? There are a lot of unhealthy places. Most places that have adopted the uh, American lifestyle of eating, you're going to have unhealthy people. And and there's reports all over that when they start eating, uh, uh, when they start eating our way, 
they get unhealthy. But I'll tell you, there are two places that I've seen the healthiest. Uh, one was in Africa, and one was in New Guinea. And uh, the, the areas in Africa, I'll never forget, first time I operated over there, I opened up the abdomen, and I was, I don't even remember what the procedure was, but I remember feeling the iliac artery. That's the artery after the aorta divides and goes down each leg. And it felt like a baby's artery. Huh. I mean, it's just as soft and pliable. And back in Boone, you feel down there and it feels like a, a pipe. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all it got all that plaque in it. I mean, it's not unusual at all to feel plaque in those, those arteries, especially where the aorta divides. So then I realized then that that had to be, you know, why, why was that? And then you start realizing it, they were eating fruits and vegetables, basically. And they had very, they'd have a, they'd kill a pig or something a couple of times a year for celebrating something, but, but mainly, they, they, uh, they didn't eat much of the, the bad fat. The other was in New Guinea, where they lived basically on, uh, on sweet potatoes, different kinds of mm. sweet potatoes. And okay. studies have been done on both of those. Their cholesterol, total cholesterol is 150, averaged out. You don't have heart attacks when it's 150. I never saw a heart attack in either of those. Okay, like what's the, uh, the most unhealthy country you've done surgery in? Oh, uh, probably, I'll say India, but it's just certain people in India, the affluent. It seems to go the more affluent, huh. the, the worse people eat. The more affluent. The, ri- the, the richer a person is, the, the they more, eat rich food. Yeah. And is that right? That's, that's correct. And it's you bring those people, the same people, uh, from Japan or wherever to America, then you see the studies, study them 15 years later, and they're getting the same problems. Okay, so uh, let me talk about that. You said, okay, somebody's in Japan, and they move to America. So when they come from Japan, is the diet good in Japan? Most, mostly is good in Japan. Okay, so when they come to America, you're saying they, that... They're changing their diet. They're changing their diet, yeah. so they become less healthy? Yeah, they're, they're, oh yeah, they get into the same numbers I've just been talking to you about. And there, there are numerous papers, especially on the Japanese, I don't know how they got started on the Japanese moving uh, to America and eating American diet. But the bottom line is that once you realize what food causes those splinters to get into your arm, You'll, you'll have less and less desire. And then the day will come when you've overcome the desire for the bad food that you're actually wanting the good food because you want a healthy body. So you want to load up your bloodstream with policemen to arrest the bad That's guys. Right. That's right. To put them in jail, your liver. Right? Right. So the bad guys, those are that's LDL cholesterol. The good guys is H, hero. The hero. Is that right? That's right. So you want to put as many police officers in your body as you can. Otherwise, the criminals are going to take over. That's right. That happens. And the one thing that most Americans don't realize, it gets me that the statin takers, and I've discussed this with friends that are doctors, uh, They'll take a statin and just keep eating whatever they want. Well, my, and they get their cholesterol back, and it's below 100, so they're okay. But they don't realize there's more than just that LDL number that we get back. There's a lot of other LDL particles that we're not, that we're, that we're not actually understanding what it is. Plus, that statin is not strengthening the heart. 
It's not raising the HDL that helps the heart. So you want, you're saying there's a love, there's a certain kind of cholesterol you are trying to get in your body. And that's HDL cholesterol. That's good stuff. So cholesterol isn't all bad. There's just certain bad types and that's the LDL. That's right. Did I get it right? You're, you're, you're there. Okay. Um, um, I wanted to say for once, but I wasn't going to say that. But yeah, you're there. Okay. <laughs> um, you said something a little bit ago that was, you just said it and then you moved on, but it's too staggering to just pass up. You said over half of Americans, a half of, of all Americans will die because of heart disease. Is that what you said? Over half of Americans will die from heart related disease, heart attacks or strokes. That's that, unreal. And, and, but the thing is, is that those LDL particles, they don't pick and choose what arteries they're going into. So they're going to get in the brain just as much as they are in the heart. Okay. So, so and, and to me, a stroke is worse than a heart attack. And I think Alzheimer's is worse than a stroke because it affects so many other people, family members and all. But, but there's a lot of relation to dementia with the arteries and with the arteries of the heart and the brain. Yeah, o- over half of Americans that can, can avoid that. And if they've had a heart attack, they can help avoid having a second one. Hmm. So that's, that's the significance. Uh, Dick, do you mind if I ask you your age? No. Okay, wh- how old are you? Well, uh, in Nepal, uh, we were tra- we were trapped. We were. You heard. Is about this the- you not answering the question, or? You, you heard about the second earthquake. We were three kilometers from the second earthquake. There were three of us doctors. We were hiking, and we got trapped in this village uh, with rock slides, and we had to stay there two days. One night, we got to know them pretty well. And so one of the doctors had all the men in the village said, how old do you think he is? And here was the spread, 55 to 60. So I explained, I'm going to take 58 as my physiological age, and I didn't tell him how old I was. I'm 75. You're 75. Yeah. Wow. And you're physiologically? Chron- chronologically. Chronologically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, you're 75 years young. And, um... But I'm a year younger than Franklin physiologically. Okay, Franklin you, Graham. You just told on Franklin Graham. No. So no. You're, you're, you're a year younger Physiolog- physiologically, but chronologically you are... Ten years older. But I was... We went to Cooper Clinic. I know Rich is running over time, but... I, this, no, no, we're this, doing good. We're this doing is good. worth it, though. We went to... He talked me into going to Cooper Clinic. That's in Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas, and they do all, they, they study your arteries, they, everything, treadmill. So when they got, at the end of the day, they set you down and go over it. And uh, so they said, uh, Dr. Furman, we want, you to, we want to congratulate you. He said, you're, you're in the, and they said, listen to this next word, above. You're in the above 99th percentile cardiac-wise. And physiologically, you're a year younger than your buddy. So I've never let him. I've never let him uh, live that down. But I tell him, Skip, that that was the moment that I realized that all of this stuff that we've written in uh, Prescription for Life is real. Until that time, I knew I felt better. I knew I felt younger and doing things. But I didn't know physiologically 
if it was medically sound until I went to Cooper Clinic. Hmm. And they were the ones that said, you're a year younger. So that's 11 years uh, physiologically. And, um, I, you know, you, I've ridden motorcycles with you, and um, I've been on long rides. You're a, a, a good rider. You're a hard rider. I mean, you, you're on it. Mm-hmm. And I've done 500 miles on a motorcycle with you. You get off the motorcycle, and then you go work out in the gym or you go running. You, you need to do three miles a day. That's what I'm trying to get him done. He's only doing three days a week, but every day, <laughs> every day you need to do it at least five days a week. Yeah. Hey, I tell you, I'll tell you the way I look at it. I, I don't like, I don't like to jog. I don't like to run. I don't like to get on that treadmill. But I look at it as taking my medicine, rather than taking taking that statin drug or taking something. I look at it. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna go get on there for half an hour. I'm gonna run, and I feel so good when I get through. Yes, but I, I look at I look at it as, as but we do ride and then uh, then uh, run. Okay, so uh, in your book you mentioned a guy named Jack Lalane. Have you all heard of him, Jack Lalane? So uh, he was a, in his day an exercise kind of a guru, right? Yeah, he stayed yeah. pretty fit. But somebody asked him an interesting question. I just want you to talk a little bit about it. I think they asked him. So Jack, when did you start enjoying exercise? Is that right? This was on uh, Fox and Friends on his 90th birthday. He walked on the stage. You know, they introduced him, and he does all of this, and he starts walking over, and uh, they, they, they congratulate him and, and talked about it. And uh, they asked him his age, and he said, none of your business. They were going to get but anyway. I'm glad you didn't say that to me a minute ago. <laughs> but at the end, one of the girls said, uh, we're so good, so glad, it's good to see somebody that's enjoyed exercising all their life and has done all this and he said enjoyed he said I hate exercising he said I don't enjoy it he said but I know it's good for me and I do it wow that's good to hear somebody like that say that isn't it it's a little bit freeing yeah yeah I hate it too but I do it (laughs) Um, one final thing and then we're going to close you tell a story about a man I forget where this was at but he was standing in front of you talking he was a little overweight and he said you know, Dr. Furman, I get these dizzy spells from time to time and, and kind of like fuzziness and dizziness. And you said, just stay where you're at. And you felt his pulse on his carotid arteries. Yeah. And there was no pulse. Yeah. So you knew that his brain wasn't being fed anteriorly but posteriorly. Yeah. Right? From the back. Yeah. Now, tell us, a, a, tell us the rest of the story. Well, this was a uh, politician... Uh, in Alaska, and uh, Franklin Graham and I had, had gone over to his house, and we spent several hours with him, and uh, got ready to go. We walked down to the lake, and he was just t- he started telling about he, he was having these little dizzy spells. And while we talked, while we were talking, I just felt of his carotid because I knew that if he had blockage of his carotid, I mean part of my living by cleaning out those carotid arteries. It's a fun operation and it, you know you don't have to go very deep and, and you do a lot of good but I thought well he's going to need a carotid enterectomy. Get that get those plaques. And you can feel if it's a significant blockage sometimes you can feel what's called a thrill where the blood twirls you can actually feel it. So while we're talking I, I, couldn't, I couldn't feel a thrill I couldn't, even, I couldn't feel a pulse. 
so we kept talking. I said, well, he, he just, he's completely blocked that one. Once it's completely blocked, you can't operate on it. So I, we kept talking, and I felt the other side, and there was no pulse. And so I knew that the only blood he was getting to his brain was through two little, like, you know, the little straws like you stir up your coffee with? Mm. There's two little arteries back there. Uh, the big arteries, the carotids, give 95%. And that's just very, so I knew he wasn't, he, he, I told Franklin as we left, I, I told the, I told him, uh, you better see your doctor when you go into town. But I knew there was nothing could be done. And I told Franklin as we left, I said, within the next two months, that politician will be dead. And about uh, six weeks later, uh, he had a, he had a stroke. And that was it. But that's, he died then. He, he died. He died then. But that's that's the problem. You don't want to wait on symptoms. That's what prescription for life is all about. Is about prevention. You don't want to ever have to go to the doctor with symptoms. And this just tells you how to how to prevent it before it, before it happens. Well, Doc, thanks for coming all the way from North Carolina to share your book and to share that with us and all the years of research and and good that you've done this world, operations around the world and missions. Thank you. Thanks for being here. That's good. It's good, good being here. Hey, um, we're going to close in prayer. Do you, would you mind uh, praying as we close? Sure. Now, Father, we come to you tonight. We just thank you for every single person here, and we just look to you for your guidance in our lives, and we just pray that we will use you and that you will use us and uh, for the rest of our lives. And uh, I just pray that you'll help help each of us uh, to stay as, as healthy as possible uh, for the one reason that we may serve you longer, we can be more active for yes. you longer. And we're just, uh, we want to say thank you, thank you for this gift of our health and our bodies that you've given us. And I just... Hold this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What binds us together is devotion to worshiping our Heavenly Father, dedication to studying His Word, and determination to proclaim our eternal hope in Jesus Christ. For more teachings from Calvary Albuquerque and Skip Heitzig, visit calvaryabq.org.